0: All right, so we're going to talk about tonight, um, I was, I've been going through the Psalms. Let me just, I want to ask you something. My, Rachel, my daughter and I were talking the other day and um, she was uh, saying, hey, you're, you know, she was talking about, there was a message I preached on a Wednesday night last year about um, basically that we see nine different dimensions in the scriptures. Nine dimensions. So today the, the quantum physics scientists are saying that there's ten the scripture reveals nine, there may be another one and maybe far more that are, you know, hidden in scripture that, you know, that I don't know about. But, um, she said, oh, dad, you should preach, you should preach on that again. And then I, I I was, I was thinking, are there messages that you would like to hear? I'm going to, I'm going to be going back to, you know, we're going to be going back to the gospel of Mark. We're going to be, you know, wrapping up Leviticus in the next few months. But, um, are there things that you would like to hear? Topics, and I, I, I thought maybe I will insert them at given times on a Wednesday night or on a, a, a Sunday, as we you know go through the rest of the year. So if there's something that you really feel strongly about that you would like to hear about, um, you know, you can you can you know call me or you can approach me uh, here and we, you know you can give it to me and um, and I'll pray on it. I'll consider. I can't promise that I'll preach on everything, but um, I will you know, I will pray on it, and, uh, and then can bring a message to you on it. For tonight, we'll talk about God's magnificence. Is there anything better than to talk about than God's magnificence? We're going to go to Psalm 139. So go with me to Psalm 139. It's in the Psalms. It's the 139th Psalm. It's, and you can stand with me for the reading of the word. By the way, that was a joke. You're not going to see it up on the screen. I want to, I want to read to you. I'm just going to read to you. I'm, I'm going to go through the whole psalm tonight, but I want to read to you just one of the, the first passages. So in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. Uh, you comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me in, behind and and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is uh, high. I cannot attain it. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord God, this night, open us up. This, Lord God, incredible psalm that truly reveals your magnificence, Lord, and I think, Lord, that you would just tonight enlarge yourself, magnify yourself before us, Lord God, and, um, and just enlarge, Lord God, as we just, we, we, we focus on you, Lord God, the greatness of who you are, your attributes, Lord God, your characteristics, your nature. And Father God, I pray, Lord God, we'd all walking out of this place tonight with just a, a greater, Lord God, understanding of how big our God is. And Lord God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, when it comes, when it comes to the attributes of God, and I want, you to, I want you to think of this. You know, you can know something intellectually. You can know it in your mind. You could know a fact or know some type of um, knowledge or information. And it basically has no effect on your life. It's, it's basically, you, you have it in your head, but it's meaningless. It doesn't do anything to advance your life, to change. And I'll give you an a, example. Coming from years ago in, in the fitness field, uh, you know, you could be sitting here today and you can know that you need to eat more fruits and vegetables. <laughs> okay, eating leaner meats, eating, right, healthier, you know, carbohydrates, um, not eating uh, trans fats and um, hydrogenated oils and uh, sugar, right? Not, you, you know that, right? It's in your head. In fact, most of you could probably write a nice little book on that, right? But how many of you are practicing it? So it's, it's, it's in your head. Same thing with exercise, you know, the, you, you could probably tell me all the benefits of physical exercise. I mean, right, it lowers your blood pressure, it lowers your risks of lifestyle diseases, diabetes, arteriosclerosis, or heart disease. And you could tell me all about the benefits of it. How many of you exercise? And it's, a again, it's, the, you know, the example. That's head knowledge without heart knowledge. So heart knowledge is when we truly receive something... And we assimilate it, we put it into practice, we basically practice it, and it becomes a habit. And it has an effect on us, a positive effect on us. It becomes the very fabric of our, our life. Well, when it, when it comes to the nature of God, it's really much the same. Like, you could tell me tonight, from, from the passage I just read to you, you could tell me, and you have the head knowledge of the omniscience of God. Right? God knows all things. But does it make a hill of beans of a difference in your life? You, you could tell me that God is omnipresent. Right? You could probably cite passages, and we'll look at that again right here in Psalm 139. But does the omnipresence of God have any effect on the way you live every day? And again, it's, it's, we have it in our heads but we're not experiencing it in our lives. Now, there are a number of attributes. Let me just play a game with you. How many of you? Tell me some of the attributes of God. What are the attributes of God? Mercy, holiness, power, His omnipotence, His love. Anyone else? Right, just there's there's many I'm some. In fact, I think one of the great lists, twenty-seven. This is just uh, an example of you know of some the immutability of God, holiness, mercy, His infinity, His sovereignty, His omniscience. Uh, he's eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent. Right, the, all of the, those. So when I was um, when I first became a Christian, and I'm I'm reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit led me to read. Uh, In fact, one of my favorite authors, and he's continued to be one of my favorite authors, I think I've read everything that he's written, was A.W. Tozer. And Tozer, and I'd really recommend these two books to you. I'd recommend anything that Tozer has has written. But The Attributes of God, Volume 1, Volume 2, and in it, he basically continuously reiterates and makes a point that when you come to really enter into a heart knowledge of the attributes of God, it changes your life. So he he was very aware of people sitting in the church who are you know have all this head knowledge. And by the way, you could miss heaven by eighteen inches. I hope you understand that. You could have all the head knowledge in the world, and if it doesn't filter down into your heart, because it's it, it's that's where the transformation, that's where the new birth takes place in the inner being. But uh, Tozer really made the point that you know the omniscience of God should if you've truly entered into it and received it into your heart, it's going to have an effect on the way you're living, on the way you're thinking, on the way that you're just walking through this world. Same thing goes with his omnipresence. Same thing goes with his sovereignty or his immutability, his unchangingness, that it's going to have an effect. So that's what I want to I talk to you a little about tonight. Psalm 139, it focuses on a number of the key attributes of God, not obviously all of them. But the first, the first is God's omniscience. Okay, the passage that I just read. And I'll go, I'll go through it again slowly. O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together." You have hedged me in behind him before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. It's obviously a, a passage that talks about the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God, God knows all things. He knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. He is the source of all knowledge. God knows all of the potentialities of any and every given situation. God knows every person's thoughts and He knows what you're going to be thinking before you even think it. He knows the motives okay, behind your actions. He knows your deepest desires. And again, that is the omniscience of God. God is omniscient. His knowledge is unlimited. And there is, no, there, there is nothing that He does not know. Now coming into that, should have a profound effect if it, it filters down into our hearts on the way that we're living. And I think what, what you really look at, the positive effect is it should bring us to a place of trust, of trust in God. If he is omniscient, if he knows all things, right? He knows the, the, the past, the present, and the future. Let me give you this. So I, I had hip surgery. And I searched out a a surgeon. So I I looked and talked to a number of different um, surgeons, a number of different uh, facilities. And I, I settled on a doctor from Englewood named Dr. Feldman. Now, in his office, he's got all those degrees, which I can't make sense of, you know. I know they're just very impressive, right? He's got all of his his degrees there. And he's got this beautiful, fancy, you know, practice. And um, he had been, he's been practicing for, for years, doing specializing in, in hip surgery. And um, he, had, he had a lot of really strong, you know, recommendations and referrals of people, of athletes, professional athletes, um, who had had surgery, that, the surgery that he had done. So I came to a place, right, you think about this, if you're going in for, some of you have had surgery, you have to trust your surgeon. Right? If, you're, if you're going in for surgery and you're thinking, hey, this, 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 this guy, this woman, they're nitwit, right? I, I, don't, I don't trust them, you know? Right? You have to trust somebody to cut you open, to go in there and, you know, work on the, the bones and the ligaments and the ten- tendons. It brings you to a place of trust. His knowledge, his knowledge, his degrees, his experience, Okay, his track record brought me to a place of trust, and I trusted him. Like, folks, you will trust a surgeon with your life. They make a mistake, you die, right? and that does happen. With with sometimes, I mean, in fact, my wife had a woman that you were working with. She had knee, uh, knee replacement. She died in the surgery. So you know, there's so like you you trust somebody. Okay, again, because of their knowledge. If we really believe that our God knows all, shouldn't that be bringing us to a greater trust, okay, in His will? If He is omniscient, shouldn't we be trusting Him in His will that essentially He knows what's best for us? It should bring us to a trust in His word, that we trust that, 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 that this, this is his, his perfect, right, and errant, right, word. And it should bring to us, again, that place where, you know, when we're reading the word and we're reading about the past, we could trust that it's true. And we're reading about the present and we can trust that it's true. And We're reading about the future. And there's a whole lot that this book says about what's going to, you know, what's going to be transpiring in these upcoming years. It bring, should bring us to a trust. And another, another, I think, place that God's omniscience should bring us to is a trust in God's timing. Which I think is something we all will have trouble with at times, right? But God's timing, right? He, he has perfect timing because He knows, He knows right when a certain thing should be happening. So, if I had infinite knowledge and um, could figure out the perfect timing of, let's say you have the the birth of a company that is going to be the equivalent of Google, and in five years it's going to be worth 10,000 times what the stock is selling for now, pennies. If I could figure that out, right? If I had that perfect knowledge, don't you think I would be buying that stock? Well, God's timing is perfect. And that's where, again, I think when we're coming to the omniscience and understanding of His omniscience, it should have a profound effect when it goes from our heads down to our hearts in trusting Him. And sometimes trusting Him in difficult times. Okay, number two, God's omnipresence. So look at verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. By the way, that word hell is sheol. It's talking about the grave. If I make my bed in sheol, or hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light for me, uh, about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. If he is omnipresent, then we are always in his presence. I want you to think about that. He's always there. What kind of an effect? If we really, again, if we had that in our hearts, not merely in our heads, what kind of an effect would that be having on us in the way that we are living every day? One of, one of the books that, that had a profound effect on me, on me that I read early on was Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And it's this, it's this I'll say this, it's this ridiculously simple book that was written by, he was, he was a priest, but he wasn't a, a preacher or a teacher or a leader. He basically was a dishwasher. And he wrote this book about how he just would practice the awareness of the presence of God day in and day out, as he was doing dishes and cleaning tables and doing all the things, the menial things, okay, that most people would uh, uh, you know uh, equate it with. But he was experiencing the presence of God, and he wrote this book. And it's one of it's one of the the greatest Christian classics that has ever been you know been written. But it it, it, it had a profound effect that. I'm always in the presence of God. And by the way, I, I can forget that at times. I can lose sight of that at times. But I am always in the presence. Of, and when I am aware of that, it has a profound effect. I want to show you two, two passages. One being Samson. And there's a passage with Samson in Judges sixteen twenty. And she said, and this is Delilah right now. She's cut his hair and she set him up. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Why? Why didn't he know? And I'll just say, Samson's awareness of the presence of God was in one thing. What was it? It was a strength. That that was his ident that was his identification with the presence of God. But it, Samson was incredibly immoral. <laughs> right, you look at Samson. When when Samson was young, he sees a woman. What did he say to his parents? Go get her for me. And he's 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 a man. He's just he's dominated by lust. He I mean prostitutes and then you know Delilah the whole Delilah thing but he he had no awareness of the presence of god the loving presence of god the intimate presence of god the the holy presence of god all all he had he had this gift that god had given him this strength that was his identification essentially with with god and again so when it left him and it was time to use it. He didn't even know. He didn't even know that God had had, had basically removed Himself from His presence. So that, that, that's key. the key thing here: the presence of God must be cultivated. If you if you've ever had a garden, you know you need you need to cultivate it. You need you need to you know toil uh, or till the soil. You need to you know plant. You need to water. You need to weed. That's, uh, the presence of God needs to be cultivated, it needs to be nurtured. Samson had no, no understanding of that. So now the, the presence of God has left him, he's totally unaware of it. Because he had never cultivated. If You, you cultivate that presence of God in your life, that intimacy, that love, that joy, the peace. And suddenly, you begin to not experience that. You are very aware that something is wrong. But when you haven't cultivated it, when you haven't nurtured it, it's, you don't know. Here's, an, here's another passage that's interesting about the presence of God. Exodus 28, 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And this is Jacob at Bethel. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So now, God is there with him. But he doesn't know that God is there. Right? Eventually now he, he comes to a realization. And that's a picture of somebody who has no spiritual sensitivity. Jacob, Jacob, in, in at this place, is he's carnal. Right, the Bible, you know, in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about the carnal, the carnal believer. He's living a carnal life. He's he spiritually his spiritual senses are dull to God and he he doesn 't you know he, he doesn 't realize that that God is right there you know with him. People walk into the church they 're not believers or they 're backslidden believers they 're here your experience if you didn 't experience God in what we just did in worship, right, which maybe some of you are sitting there and you 're saying hey i didn 't but that 's because your spiritual senses are dull and and the scripture talks about We have, just as we have outer senses, and there's an outer man, there's inner senses. So the the Bible talks about, we, right, Jesus says, if you have eyes to see, or ears to hear. The Bible even talks about us being able to smell the presence of God, or taste and see that the Lord is good. I think it's in Psalm 34. Touch, right, that we have a spiritual sense of touch. And again, I'm talking about inner man. This is not, this is not physical, right I can i I can touch this, I can smell, right? I can see, I can hear, but it's the inner person, and we cultivate, that's again something that we cultivate and we we nurture. Jacob, again, his spiritual senses were dull, and he's right in the presence of God, and he doesn't know that God is there. And again this happens with us, this happens in the church. So that's something that the spiritual senses need to be nurtured and cultivated and developed to experience the presence of God. In Acts chapter 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Right? And this is, um, as some of your poets uh, have said, for we are also his offspring. He's talking about the Greek philosophers, but they had an awareness of a God who basically filled all things. Right, that that God is is essentially we called his omnipresence or his he's eminent, he's everywhere. And the poets, you know, they realize that. But as Christians, I mean we should have that understanding, and to have that understanding, how different would your walk be? How different would you be? How much of a different life would you be living if you cultivated a greater awareness of the presence of God? How much more peace would you have? How much more joy? How much more holy would you be? If we're cultivating that. Okay, third. God's masterpiece. So in Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. By the way, what is God's masterpiece? The masterpiece that he has created. So Jesus was not created. Jesus is God. But what is God's masterpiece? What Ritter? Say it out loud. What? Us? Us. 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 We are the masterpiece of God. We are his we are his his greatest masterpiece. In in Psalm one thirty nine, thirteen through sixteen. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. When as yet there were none of them, you start to get into the Hebrew, it's it's basically almost like God is an artist who is has his his canvas and he he painted us, he 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 drew us, he created us and drew out that prototype before we were ever born. But we are the masterpiece of God, created in the image and likeness of God. Right? It says here, marvelously right and and wonderfully made. Psalm eight created a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory. Redeemed, right? We've sinned, we've fallen short. We're born, you know, as sinners. But redeemed by the precious, immaculate blood of the Lamb. He never did that for the angels. He did it for us. And transforming us to be an ecclesia, a, a, you know, again, a church of the sons of God, the daughters of God. Romans chapter 8. We, we, are, we are many sons who are going to be glorified in the image of Jesus. Something, again, he didn't do for the angels. And you really start to get into that, you know, that, that concept of many sons... And an and, and army, right, a, a, a community that are going to be, you know like Jesus, not God's, but glorified in Romans chapter 8, 28 through 29. By the way, the music tonight, you, you, you were singing songs about the omniscience and the omnipresence of God, and then, you know, we were singing um, Romans 8:28. Romans 8.28, and, and by the way, I wasn't in communion with, you know, the worship team or Len with, you know, with that. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. So God is working all things together for our good. But you know what the ultimate good is that he's working? Like, you know, it's, it's not merely about your success here on earth, though I think that's something God is concerned with. But look at what all the things that God is doing, all those different things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the things He's working in your life for the purpose, right? Verse 29, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be right there. Learn this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. So all these things that are happening in our lives, and sometimes they're good and they're wonderful, and sometimes they're painful. He's doing and using all those things to conform us to the very image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn amongst many brethren, amongst many brothers, sisters. That's His ultimate purpose. If you're wondering, what is God's purpose for my life? What is God's ultimate purpose for my life? It is to conform you to the image of His Son. So all the things that are happening in your life tonight, today, He's using those things If you are his son and his daughter, to shape you and mold you and to conform you to the image of his son. Okay, the next. God's revelation. In verse 17 and 18. He says this, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. I I want you to, to notice this. In fact, if you're taking notes in your Bibles, it's extremely personal. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So what is that that talking about? God's word, God's personal word, his direct word to us. What do we call that? The rhema, right? Bible, there are two words that are used for the word of God, logos and rhema. So logos, and here's a, Here's a good definition. Logos is the entire Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation. The 66 books written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors needs to be studied in its context, right in its historical. It needs to be. You can't can't rip it out. That's, That's Logos. You rip it out, and that's where we have cults and religion and all sorts of craziness. But then rhema is a specific spoken word for a specific time and person. It's it's personal. So you're in the word of God and you're in the logos. And suddenly God just speaks a word directly to you from the logos. It could be a word of comfort, a word of exhortation, a word of challenge. It could be a word of love. It could be a word of healing. It could be a word of rebuke and correction and discipline. But he speaks... I, by the way, I'll take a word from God. I don't care what it is. I'll take a word of correction. I'll take a word of discipline. I'll take a word of rebuke. Just, I, I mean, just hearing from God is one of the most fantastic. The rhema of God is one of the most thrilling and fantastic experiences of this life. That suddenly God is speaking... It's like it's, it's this, this amazing book. This, this book that is unlike any other book... I, I, you go up to my study and you come to my house and I won't mention probably about the 2,000 books that I've given away, but I don't know how many. I've probably read six, six 7,000 books in the last 40 years. And books on all kinds of topics. I've never, though, had a book that speaks to me. And it's like, well, this chapter is speaking directly into my life and my life situation right now. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, the only place that I've ever had it happen outside directly from the scriptures is when a preacher, okay, or a teacher of the word is either speaking or I'm reading the writing. So when I read Tozer, Tozer, again, but what is it? He's using scripture. And they're speaking directly into my life. So people, you know, when this happens, and I joke with you, when it happens in the church, people will say, geez, pastor, that message you preached, it was like you were preaching directly to me. And yeah, I spent, the whole, I spent the whole two weeks putting together the message to speak directly to you. It's just the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, the Rama of God, and bringing it right to us. And um, that, that is essentially what the psalmist is saying there. His, his marveling, and it's, it's not that David didn't marvel, I mean, Psalm 119 about the Logos, but here he's saying how how incredible this is when you speak that personal word right into my heart, right into my life. How wonderful it is, and um, that's an incredible thing. I'll give you. I'll give you just uh, a couple of more things, and I'll do this quickly because I do want to go to prayer. God's holiness, and this passage—it's a little rough—but um, Psalm one thirty-nine, verse nineteen through twenty-four. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The picture here. I mean, this is a man who hates evil. And it's the, it's, through, it's the law of opposites. When you love God, you will hate what God hates. Now, I know that, you know, God loves the sinner, right? He, he, he hates the sin. The, the truth is, though, that he does send sinners to hell and um, who are separated from him, you know, through eternity. But, you know, you know this is when you see somebody, you see a, a blasphemous God-hater... Right, and I know you, you, you're going to go and you're going to get on your knees, you're going to pray for them. But you know that stirring in your heart of of just the disgust that you have when you see somebody dishonoring God, when you see them blaspheming—I mean, just mocking. You know, you see these people—they just mock God, and just you know—and that's that's essentially, I believe, in David, that is the holiness of God. And Again, this is kind of an Old Testament. He didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount yet. But it's, it's a picture. God has called us to be holy for I am holy. And I think that when we, we come to a, we come to a place, again, experiencing when you are experiencing the holiness of God, again, His attribute of holiness, it will have a, a transformation on you, and you will develop a hatred for sin, not only as you look at it as the world, but in your own life. The same sin struggles that you have, there should be a, you know, a hatred that you have, you know, for them. I it think was, it was Billy Sunday, who the great, uh, Billy Sunday was a professional baseball pitcher, who gave his life to Christ and was an evangelist. And he was talking about sin and how much he hated sin, but still he had to struggle with it because he had the flesh. And he said, um, he goes, I, I fight it, I punch it, I beat it, you know, I kick it. And he said, and when I'm old and I don't have teeth, I'm going to gum it. And, uh, but that was the, the picture of a, of a man of God. And when you come into that holiness of God, there will be this, this aversion, this, this hatred for sin. And the more you experience his holiness, I believe the more, the more you will experience that. So just, just a, a simple wrap-up here. Again, when it comes to the attributes of God... His, omnis- his, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his holiness, his presence, right? The very rhema of God that he speaks into our lives. It should be having an effect upon us as it goes from our head down to our heart. And it should be changing and transforming our walk. That's why the, the key, listen, the key to this life is to know God. And, and not to know him in your head, but to know him in your heart, it's, it's genosko. It's an, an intimate knowledge of God. And the more you come to know God in intimacy, and you come to know Him in His omniscience, and in His omnipresence, and in His holiness, it should have this transforming effect upon our lives and the way we're living. And um, I think that's why, again, the Scriptures, the, especially the Old Testament, there's such a a great revelation in the Old Testament in the attributes of our Father. And I think that that revelation, again, is to bring transformation into our lives, not just that we would know that God knows all things or that we would know that God is in all places, but that it would change us and transform us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for Psalm 139, Lord God, a beautiful psalm. And we pray, Lord God, we don't want to be people, Lord God, who miss these precious things. By 18 inches, by having them in our head, but not allowing them to assimilate down into our heart. Help us, Lord God, to cultivate and to, Lord God, develop and nurture that awareness of, Lord God, your omniscience, of your omnipresence, of your holiness. Help us, Lord God, just to develop that and cultivate it in our lives. And Lord God, may it have a powerful effect in transforming us more and more, conforming us into your image. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.